Thanks very much to Neil Veit for his uh, ministry of the word last week. I'm going to expect a lot of you now because I heard you burst into applause while he was preaching last week. <laughs> burst into applause. And he would be the first to say that was because he was recounting the goodness of God. And you know he's been good. And uh, so thank you, Neil, for your ministry here. Thank you for your ministry of the word. Uh, and thank you for all of you who recorded that and participated in that so we could... We could appreciate that too. R-W-Y-A, R-W-Y. You're just dying to know. What in the world does that mean, R-W-Y-A? Here's where that came from. My grandfather, Shipley, my mom's dad and grandma, they, they had um, strayed from the Lord in their youth and they had made some really serious mistakes and their marriage ended. And... Um, my mom remembers that as a very, very sad time. And then, uh, in a miracle that only God can do, God brought my grandma to the Lord, and God brought my grandpa to the Lord, and they came back together. And when they came back together, um, it was a new day for the Shipley family. And my grandfather began to read books about the Bible, he began to study the Bible, began to be really faithful in attendance at church. He's a very quiet man, very, very few words. And grandma was outgoing, and so grandma would talk. When you go over to visit them on their little house on Auten Road in South Bend, Indiana, grandma would just talk away about things, and grandpa would sit there very quietly, and, and he would listen. And then when the visit was over, and it was time to go home, there was a little tradition. We would all go over by the door to say goodbye, and then grandma and grandpa put their hands out like that it was a signal for everybody to join hands and then grandma would nod to grandpa like okay you can talk now <laughs> and grandpa would pray and his prayers were the prayers of a man who, who, who loved the Lord and who needed the Lord and then he would, he would squeeze your hand and he would say this he would say remember whose you are remember whose you are and what that meant it had, a, it had a sweet double meaning grandpa didn't want us to forget that we belonged to the family but we all knew that what he, what he meant most of all was never forget that your identity is in Jesus Christ the next four weeks we want to talk about the importance of our identity who do you think you are did anybody ever tell you that who do you usually they say it kind of mean who do you think you are well that's a good question though who who do you think you are like when you think about you that's probably pretty important what do you think about when you think about who you are what, what is your identity who do this is really important stuff who do you think you are 
And then it gets kind of messy, doesn't it? Then you look around and you go, who do the significant people in my life think I am? And what do I think they think? And what do they think? And, and my friends, who do they think I am? And then, of course, you know, you know this, right? But Satan is involved in all this. Demons are involved in, they want you to think something about who you are. And so you can get yourself in quite a mess thinking, who am I really? Now, wouldn't it just be something if God somewhere in the Bible said who you are? Wouldn't that be helpful? Don't you think that'd be helpful? I think that would be helpful. I think it'd be helpful if God says, wait a minute, you don't even think right about yourself. Other people don't know you like I know you, and you don't want to listen to the devil or any of his helpers. Let me tell you who you are and who you can be. And he does that in this beautiful book of Ephesians. So why don't you take your Bible uh, today and or scroll on your phone to uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And what we're going to do is, you know, you've heard of a jet flight. That would be a really fast fly over the Bible. I'm going to call this a drone flight because we're going to go a little slow, but it's really only going to take four weeks. We're going to get the heart of this book in terms of our identity, you know, in four weeks, Lord willing. You think about this. This Bible helps you God's story helps you make sense of the world you're living in. This is interesting, isn't it, that this ancient book uh, penned by men across a period of time, inspired by God, would actually have within it a main overarching story that would help us understand our lives hundreds and thousands of years later. It's God's word. And so God's explained, so you can, you can take the Bible and have the, a great understanding of the big narrative of the Bible, the, the big story of the Bible will help you understand your life. Like, so this, the Bible teaches that, we're, that you are created by God, and because you're created by God, you have dignity, and you have honor, and you have value, and you have worth. I mean, you're created by God. You're God's creation. Every human being you know, no matter what they believe or don't believe, or no matter how they behave or misbehave, is a creation of God and has worth and value and dignity because of that. But you know if you've read the Bible that that's kind of the beginning of the story, but immediately, like chapter three of Genesis, you realize the world kind of goes upside down. And even though men and women are created with dignity and with honor, there's something really bad in the world. We're fallen and we're flawed. And the Bible uses the word cursed. Maybe that kind of helps you understand why does it seem sometimes like all the world is against you? Because it is. Because it is. That's one way you could describe. What does it mean that the world has a curse on it because of sin? It means that things don't work the way they were originally designed to work. Now that makes good sense of our world because you look at your world and you can just tell there's something beautiful going on there's something beautiful and divine happening in the world. Look at the eyes of a newborn baby. Look in, even in the conflicts in the world, and you can see something really ominous is happening. And then you can also look in the world and say, and some really, something is badly wrong here. But you don't have to look around the world for that, do you? You can just look at your wife. I mean, you can look at your husband. I mean, you can, look at your, you can just look at yourself. Maybe that'd be a better idea. Just look at yourself. And what do you find? Pretty interesting person. You know, you, when you were little, you turned Captain Crunch into who you are today. That's pretty amazing right there. <laughs> Captain Crunch. It's absolutely no nutritional value. It's a miracle that you are who you are today. 
you're not like in the hospital somewhere growing up on Captain Crunch like that. And yet you can look within yourself and say, wow, I'm amazing, you know? It's amazing I can do what I can do, think what I can think, say what I can say, that I have gifts and abilities and that I have feelings and all that. Yet there's something kind of badly wrong with all of us and we kind of knew it when we were a kid, didn't we? And the Bible explains that. But that's not the end of the story either. Because the story as it unfolds is that it is God's purpose for you. God's purpose is to move you from a curse, from being under the curse, to being under a blessing. It's really to move you back to God's original design. So God's original perfect design was flawed by sin. That sin was passed down to you. You two are fallen and cursed, and you live in a fallen, cursed world, and that's why it seems like the world is against you, because it kind of is against you. But if God is for us, and he's working a, a redemptive plan through his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to buy the world back and to restore the world and everything in it, the people first and the, and the earth itself, he's going to restore that together. That's something that you want to be a part of. And Ephesians is talking about that. And that's why it says, just to read in Ephesians chapter 1, you have this original greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like it's going to be good news here. Then he immediately said something quite wonderful. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he should be holy and blame, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here it comes to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Get it? It's broken, it's beautiful, but it's broken and he's gonna make it beautiful again. And you're invited into that. The human being is the pinnacle of God's creation. And when human beings fell and spiraled out away from God in rebellion, God sent his son to bring them back, to rescue us back. But we have to cooperate with that. Those who cooperate with that, who believe in Christ, are in Christ. It's this union with Christ. This mystical, spiritual union with Christ. And being in Christ then, the, the, the reality of the spiritual world, though we can't always see it, and, and, and though we don't always perceive it with our senses, is every bit as real as everything else that you see in the material world. And, the, and within it are spiritual blessings or inheritance or riches. There's stuff there for you that's a practical manifestations in your life. You're not going to see this right away in Ephesians because as you know, the structure of Ephesians, you've studied it before. The first three chapters is all kinds of things that God has done for those who are in Christ. And it's embedded with a couple of prayers for people to just have an enlightenment about all those things that God has done. It's all about what God has done, and it's really nothing about what we have done or what people have done in the first three chapters. And when you get to the chapters in four and five and six, then it's like, what is possible for people about whom all these wonderful things are true? 
So it's not really so much about what you need to do for God, not at all. The Bible really isn't that, a book of what, what do you, it seems like a book, of, a book of obligation, but it's really not. It's not. It's a book about what God does for us. And as a result, what we can do through him. And that makes all the difference. So relax, I'm not going to hurt you right now. It's going to be okay. This is a blessing thing. This is what the words, I'm going to teach the word. And the word says, I'm going to just, we're just going to rifle through some of our spiritual blessings and if I talk really fast, maybe just four today. And so we're going to go through these things over the next four weeks as who you are and what you can do in Christ, your privileges in Christ. Somebody who says your riches in Christ, and then the things that you can do in Christ. And so in Ephesians, you can see immediately that God is good and that he wants us to receive blessing through our union with Christ, through our believing in Christ, through our faith in Jesus Christ by being followers of Jesus. And so I want you to notice four things today. If we, if we have time for them, we'll see. In Christ, you're blessed and privileged. In Christ, you're spiritually blessed and you're spiritually privileged. And that's probably a bigger deal than you think. When a person comes to faith in Christ, when a person repents of their sin, turns from their sin to believe in Jesus, you, you say, I understand the story that Jesus in his death paid the price for my sin, and I trust and believe in that. Then you, Bible says, then you immediately pass from death into life. Some people call that getting saved. That comes right out of the Bible, right? The, what serves? What must I do to be saved? Sometimes we call that getting saved. That's, that's kind of a fun Baptist term that we like to use, but we pick that right out of the Bible. Some people call it born again, right? That's out of John chapter 3. Are you born again? Uh, and, and, so, and so it's like when, when uh, this, this uh, salvation is described in the Bible, it's just described as an instantaneous thing, like birth, the new birth, or like getting married. One moment you're unmarried, the next moment you are in marital bliss, just like that, just in that little thing. And so it is when we come to believe, when in our soul, we believe that Jesus died for our sin, we pass from death into life, we're saved, we're born again. You might want to think, am I in Christ? Because you're going to see here, for those who are in Christ, there are all kinds of spiritual blessings that are going to have very, very real manifestations in your life. And they are who we really are. They are our identity in Christ. And in Christ, this is true about everybody who's a believer. We are blessed and privileged. Blessed be, verses uh, three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When, we're, when the kids were growing up, you know, we had 10 people in the house at a time. And Lois was so busy trying to make a little bit of extra money, trying to homeschool the kids, trying to put up with my shenanigans, kept her busy all the time. And so a lot of times what I would do is I would run by the store and I would pick up what she needed to, for the kids to make dinner, for her to make dinner. I'd run by the store and I kind of had a pretty good idea of the basic stuff I needed to get in order to have a basic meal. I can still remember those things. I can buy them today without a list. But every once in a while, I would come into some money that she didn't know about. Isn't that good, clean fun? And, uh, and I would go to the store, and maybe then I would get those basic things, and then I'd buy Spider-Man Pop-Tarts. Or I would get those things, and I would buy some of those cinnamon rolls that the kids love so much. Or I'd get those things, I'd buy some sugar so the girls can make us some cookies tonight. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. <laughs> and then I would drive home, and I would walk in, and I would say to the kids, you guys need to unload the car. 
They'd go, yeah. And they'd go running out there and they'd grab the bags out of the back of the van. And I could still see it today when they would bring them, all those stuff in and they'd sit on their little island and they would start rifling through the bags and I would watch them. You know, they would get tomato sauce. Yeah. And I'd okay, you know. That's like, and then somebody would say, oh, Pop-Tarts. And they would grab those. And the girl's like, you got sugar? We can make cookies. And I'd be like, yes, hallelujah. You know, and, uh, and, it, and just, they would just, and I would just as a dad, I would just stand back and watch them rifle through the bags and see what they had. And this is what you're supposed, this is the idea. This is what's going on here. God, our good heavenly father, who is good, and he's always good, sent his son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who purchased for us blessings beyond our imagination that are already ours in, spirit, in heavenly places. And he wants us to rifle through the bags and go, no, you did not. You did not give me this. You did not get me that. This is not true. Is this true? This is true, little old me. And imagine the past that I have and the mistakes that I've made and the things that I've said and the people that have hurt me and all the junk that I've been through. And yet God still has blessed me and privileged me. You can be blessed and privileged in the most important place in Christ. How wonderful is that? Second thing, in Christ you're chosen and cherished. This is just shocking, and, and theologians have arm wrestled about this for centuries to figure it out because it's such a powerful mystery. What does it mean to be chosen by God before the foundation of the world? I will explain that to you. Oh, wait, we don't have time today. So one day I will explain that to you. I'm just kidding with you about that. But people argue about that, but like we have, let's just admit even though we might kind of like have a different, people might have a little different view. What does it mean to be chosen by God before the foundation of the world? Predestined, all this rich language about being chosen. Let's just, let's talk about what we know we can agree on. This is an ominous and wonderful thing that God would say that we are chosen by him. This, this is from a guy who never got chosen for anything as a kid, right? I mean, I went out for football, they didn't choose me for that. I went out for basketball, they didn't choose me for that. It was like, I, as a matter of fact, I wrote a little thing about this. Can I read it to you? You're so nice. Okay, most of you, most of you who've heard me preach, you know that my junior high was a very painful experience for me. Most of my memories in junior high were painful. I do have a memory that came to me this morning when I was walking, and it's a sweet memory. I was raised in a home where the Bible was revered. It was a part of every day. There were Bibles of different descriptions and different translations in every room of our home, including the one that was with the daily bread on the, on the toilet tank lid. At dinner, Dad tried to read a few verses of the Bible every night just before we prayed for our meal. Every month, catalogs arrived from Bible discounters, and we frequently ordered from them. My parents always spoke glowingly of young people who carried their Bibles to school with them. I was in the seventh grade in a little village of Utica, Ohio, and I had my first Schofield Reference Bible, which was the approved study Bible there. I had a black hardcover old Schofield Reference Bible, and I took it to school with me. And one day, I didn't read it much, but I carried it around and I looked spiritual, right? Because it's hyper. I didn't read much of anything. But one time in study hall, I had a free hour and I opened that Bible and I was looking for something to read and I couldn't decide what to read. And I came upon a, a, a Bible book that was short. I thought, this looks good. It's short. And it just, that's why I read it. And it was Ephesians. After I read it, I thought, wow. There's so much in that book. 
I don't know why, but it's doing something deep in me. I decided that's my favorite book at the time. Thinking back, it makes perfect sense because I was suffering in junior high with a brutal assault on my identity. Kids in my school made up names that weren't very nice about me. And they caught on with other people. And every day, my life was an assault on my identity. It makes perfect sense now why I would pick up this little book when people were saying these things about me, the God of heaven was saying something completely different about me. I'm blessed, I'm privileged, I'm chosen, I'm cherished. I'm the guy, you know, in the baseball when they would choose you and you and you, and they get down to the end, there's one guy, they would go get, put him on the other team because they didn't want a dead spot in the batting order. Now, you know, a kid thinks about that when he sleeps at night. That kind of haunts him in life. And yet here's a book that says, regardless of whether people value you on the baseball team, the God of eternity before time began in a mystery that we do not fully understand chose you to belong to him. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing to me. Maybe you need to be roughed up like I was roughed up to really appreciate that, but I don't wish that on anybody. That's the second thing. In Christ, we're, we're blessed and privileged. In Christ, we're chosen and we're cherished. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And that brings us to, to number three, if you will. In Christ, you're, you're holy and blameless. I know you're looking around going, what, me, holy, blameless? And we're all, are we all kind of aware of our mistakes, aware of our sins, aware of our failures? They haunt us, don't we? The people that know us, they kind of know, we know you, we know what you're all about, we know where you've been, we know the kind of person you are, we know about you. And it's a little bit like blackmail, am I right? Are there people in your life who kind of like blackmail you? They give you the look just at the right time, kind of like, you, I know about you. Do you want me to spill the beans to other people or are you gonna just do what I say? And then there's that cosmic blackmail, right? That you have a demonic, the Bible says that. One day the accuser of the brethren, the blackmailer of the brethren is gonna be thrown down to hell. <laughs> That'll be a good day for us. But for now, what does he do? He whispers in your ear, we know who you are. We know where you've been. We know, what we're, we know what you're about. And that's never good, right? So when God says, in Christ, you're holy and blameless, that's no small thing. Listen, Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the truth of justification, that before God in Christ, we are blameless. We are already holy. And that he sees us that way through in our union with Christ. He sees us that way. And that's not a word game. That's reality with God. We aren't guilty before God because Jesus took our penalty. And therefore, before God, we're holy and blameless. That'll do your soul some good when you sink your teeth into that. Think about this for a minute. You've been hurt like I've been hurt. Are you going to be defined by your hurts? Uh, think about it like, like this. You've made mistakes like I've made mistakes. Are you gonna be defined by your failures? Some people are labeled by their failures or by their, their misorientation or their orientation. People are called that name. They say, this is who that person is. Their very identity is tied up with their saddest failures in life. How sad is that? Or their identity, you know, you've met people. Maybe you wrestle with this yourself and you've been deeply wounded. You've been deeply hurt. 
and you tend to let your whole life kind of order itself around that wound, and that wound was so deep with people that were, were the, maybe the people that you should have been able to trust for spiritual guidance or people that you should have been able to trust for genuine family love hurt you in a deep way, and that kind of almost, it almost labels you. It almost defines who you are. I have had a little of this myself. Went through a period of mistreatment, and I, I wrote a book about how God worked in our life and how good God wrote a book about this. And whenever I signed that book, I will put two passages of Scripture. Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good to those who love God. And Genesis 50 and verse 20, which is where Joseph says to his brothers, who were very cruel to him, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And for the first two years after that great injury, I have to tell you, my soul parked on the first phrase. How wrong was that? You meant that for evil. That was wrong. And just recently, I realized I moved over to the second part of that verse, but God meant it for good. God, this is good. Lois and I, you, I told you this before, Lois and I named our farm Bittersweet Farm. And one day, it was just such a beautiful day. And we feel so blessed to be here at Bethel. We feel so blessed to have that home. She just kind of rebuked me and said, it's not bittersweet, it's just sweet. Can I just say to you, in Christ, it can be just sweet. Unless you are going to be defined by your failures. Unless you're going to be defined by the people that hurt you. Then it's going to be bitter. But how does God want you to be defined? By his son, Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. Somebody says, but you're bad. Yes, but he's good. But you are not faithful. Yes, but he is faithful but you failed, but no, he never did. I'm not presenting myself to you as good. I'm presenting myself to you as one who's been shown mercy by one who is infinitely good and eternally good and irrevocably good forever. That's what this book is saying. How beautiful is that? In Christ, we're holy and blameless. Number four, in Christ, we're accepted, we're included, we're adopted into God's family into God's family. You and Christ have been brought into God's family forever. This is um, beautiful. Let's read. Let's back up and get a running start. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We're adopted as sons and daughters into God's family, cherished by God because of Christ. A part of the family, that's amazing. I um, have a good dad. When He's especially good when you're in trouble. He has a gear that he goes into when you're in trouble. It's almost like he sort of waits for you to get in trouble so that he can do this Superman thing. It's, it's like that. I have times in my life when I, my, one time Lois and I were driving and we broke down in Effingham, Illinois. 
halfway between where we lived and where we were trying to get to college. And we were out of, we had $300 left and our car uh, transmission went out of our car. And I didn't know what to do, so I did what I've done all my life. Call my dad. And then I went to bed. And I woke up, which seemed like a few minutes later, with somebody pounding on the door. And my dad was standing there with a log chain, literally over his shoulder, trying to be funny, going, let's, let's take you back to Ohio, son. It took him a few hours to get there, but it seemed like it was, he loved, you were in a crisis, boom, he loved to see how quick he could get there. He's still that way. It's kind of a cool quality. I decided with eight kids, I want to be like that. And one day I was in my study, and my son Chuck had run out of gas. His car had broken down. He called me, and I bolted to my car with lightning speed. <laughs> I didn't get my cape, but I got to the car, and I got there as fast as I could. And he's like, whoa, Dad. And I thought about my dad. One of these days, my dad's going to go to heaven. I won't be able to call him anymore. That'll be hard. But you are in a forever family if you're in Christ. And you are in, you have a perfect heavenly father. And you have brothers and sisters. Jesus is your brother. Imagine that. He's a loyal brother. That's what he says. Eight times in the Bible. Eight times. My dad and my mom I kid them about my youngest brother being their favorite because sometimes I get favors if I, if I whine like that, you know. Like, you know, Nathan's your favorite. I kid him. He's not. He, they love him, of course. He's a lovable guy. And my dad one time says, you know, my favorite is the one who needs me the most at the time. So when I get in trouble sometimes, like, hey, dad, it's your favorite son. He goes, oh, no. <laughs> What's wrong? And then he goes into that gear and he's just a man who, if he was here, he'd quickly tell you how f flawed he was. But you and I, in Christ, have a heavenly father. And we have a spiritual family. And it's irrevocable. When you're in Christ, you're in the family. You're, have you ever suffered from not being accepted? Have you ever suffered from being rejected? You ever suffered from feeling like you're not a part of things? Maybe you, you had a terrible rejection by a parent or a terrible rejection by a spouse or your kids that you really gave your heart to kind of hurt you. And it's one of those things that it's hard to go to sleep at night because you feel like you should have been loved, you should have been accepted, and you should have been respected. Do you understand? God knows that. And he knew that people would fail you. He knew that people would let you down. But he will never let you. That's what this, this is what the word is saying here. What is the true truth about you? The true truth about you is if you are in Christ, you are blessed, you are privileged, you are chosen, you are cherished, you are holy, you are blameless, and you are in a forever family, and that's never going to change. That's pretty exciting. This is preaching at camp on Psalm 139. And the outline of the psalm, if you read this gorgeous psalm, is something I always want to embed in the hearts of young people at camp. God understands you. God is with you. God custom made you. God continually thinks about you and loves you. And in, in the psalm arches forward into the whole narrative of the Bible, 
it ends, Psalm 139, search me, see if there's any wayward way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, since you made me, since you are with me, since you know me, since you custom made me, since you love me, don't let anything ever come between me and you. I want, I never want sin to get between me and you, and sin's the only thing that can separate us from God, and Jesus took care of that. So the question that we ought to ask first today is just, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Not, have you impressed God with your behavior? He's not going to be impressed with your behavior. He's going to pity you. He's going to have mercy on you, but he's not going to be impressed with your behavior. It's, have you taken all of your good and all of your bad together and put it at his feet and said, I trust you for my salvation. I trust you to forgive me of my mistakes in my past. I trust you to heal the hurts of my past. I trust you to fully and freely accept me when I feel unaccepted by other people. I'm going to put my everything in you, Jesus, because when you do that, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He'll receive you. It ever occur to you that maybe God, in his kind providence, in the mystery of his working, has allowed these other things to happen to you that they would afflict you to him? Elizabeth Elliot said, affliction is the good shepherd's black dog. Affliction is the good shepherd's black dog. And maybe right now, you're in a marital trouble. And you just think, why me, God? Why does it just seem like I'm cursed? Maybe God is trying to tell you something. Maybe God is trying to draw you to himself. And maybe when you're tempted to go off and spend a bunch of money you shouldn't spend or take something you shouldn't take or drink something you shouldn't drink and an amount you shouldn't drink or go somewhere and do something you shouldn't be doing. It's those hungers and those longings that you have that you haven't trusted Christ with. And you trust Christ with those things. And then what you're going to notice in the book of Ephesians here and the whole Bible isn't a Bible. It isn't a book about what you owe to God, about what he's done for you. It's not really what you should do for God, but it's more about what you can do in Christ that's, uh, these, are, these are the things that the, the Bible's teaching. So now when you think back, let's go to those first questions again. How do you see yourself? Who do you think you are? How do others see you? Who do they think you are? How do you think others see you? Who do you think others think you are? How does Satan want you to think about who you are? It's all buried under who does God say that I am? And this is what God says you are in Christ. Listen, here, here's something I want you to see. Look at this outside. You aren't what's been done to you. Just build this whole thing out. You are what Jesus has done for you. That's your basic identity when you're in Christ. Of course, if you're not in Christ, of course, you're, you're a mess and it's hopeless. You literally are without God and without hope in this world. But to fully trust in him means it's not what's, you're not who, what's been done to you. You're what Jesus has done for you. You aren't what you do. You're what Jesus has done on your behalf. And what you do doesn't determine who you are. But who you are in Christ will determine what you do. And this is what you're going to see in Ephesians. And so that's why it's important that you remember those letters. Remember whose you are. Heavenly Father, I think probably most of the people in, that heard this talk today were professed to be followers of you and who, and who love you. 
but I'm sure there were some too that are, are struggling through some stuff. Help us all, I pray, to remember whose we are. And I pray for those who are wrestling through hard questions that lie deep in their soul, that they would see that whatever the question is, that Jesus is the answer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.